invite you to take your, <coughs> excuse me, take your Bible this morning, and uh, we are not going to be in Galatians this morning, and instead I invite you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 13, Romans 13. Uh, every once in a while over the last uh, 26 years of ministry, uh, not often, but every once in a while, uh, we'll take a pause just to address some specific um, issue that is uh, the Lord has put before us in the church. And this morning, that's what we're going to do. And, uh, and uh, so we're going to open our Bibles this morning to address a specific issue. And, and I do that this morning, not with trepidation, but with anticipation, because the Word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Uh, the Word of God is uh, the foundation we stand upon. And as we submit together to the Word of God, God does wonderful things in, in the body. Um, last Sunday, we saw in, in the book of Galatians that there was, a, there was a division happening in the church because of some men who had come down, and, um, and, and so Paul had to deal with that, uh, that division in the body, and he did so by opening Scripture to them, right? He did so by reminding them of the truth of the gospel, and uh, that the truth of God had the power to heal. And it does, this, the Word of God has the same power today. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be um, submitting to God's instruction and God's truth uh, in the pursuit of, of God's gospel unity. So we're going to be talking this morning about the necessity and glory of submission, from 1 Peter 2 and from Romans chapter 13. The necessity and glory of submission. And I, uh, I say that primarily, we, we, the elders sent out a letter this past uh, Friday, and I hope you've had an opportunity to read it. I know that some of you are struggling with the, the session's decisions, and let me just say at the, say at the outset, that's okay. Uh, um, the, the, Christians will disagree. Uh, you'll find that in Scripture, you'll find that throughout church history. And uh, for those of you who've written letters to the session, I want to thank you for doing that. Uh, we, um, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, I thank you for the tone uh, of those letters, uh, for your love for the church expressed, and your desire for the truth, and your desire for peace. Uh, and so it, it's a, I just want you to know it's a privilege to be a pastor uh, of this body, and I think the elders feel the, the same way. Um, it's not been an easy year. Uh, it's not how we would have drawn it up. And yet, uh, God has good purposes in His providences. And, uh, and we're, we're uh, finding those good purposes out. I think we're, uh, we're learning how to depend on God in a new way in the midst of a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty about the future. Uh, God's teaching us how to be patient with each other as we, as we disagree on uh, how to, uh, policies and how to move forward. Uh, and I believe God's teaching us lessons in submission. Lessons that we as American Christians are, are um, not really good at um, this category of, of uh, the Christian life. And, uh, and one of the issues that we've been facing together as, as, a, as a church, and not just our church, of course, uh, every church around the world uh, basically is dealing with um, the question about the appropriate Christian response to governing authorities. And so I want to address that this morning. We're not going to be able to address every question you might have, every uh, insight or a concern that, that might come to your mind. Uh, but our goal is uh, to just open the Word of God together and listen to it. What does God have to say to us? Uh, because there's a principle here that's an ordering principle, a guiding principle, a foundational principle that will be helpful and clarifying and unifying. As we, as we simply come together and, uh, and rest on uh, what God has to say to us in His Word. Let me just, just say, uh, if, um, let's, why don't we just take a moment right now and just pray that the Lord will help us then to hear His Word well. Let's just bow together in prayer. God in heaven, you know that we are all, every one of us, rebels by nature. 
Uh, We like to do our own thing. We like to go our own way. And the word submission, Lord, um, does not settle easy upon our flesh. But we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you've given us a freedom we never had before. And I pray that uh, today now as we open your word, Lord, that you would bless this body, Harvest Church, wherever we're meeting this morning. That you would bless us, Lord, with ears that are open to hear what you have to say and hearts that are receptive to receive it. That we would love Jesus and love his truth and love each other. And uh, Lord, as we submit ourselves to this, this ordering principle, we would find, Lord, blessing and peace and unity that would honor you. Lord, um, I just pray that whatever within us would resist these truths, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, put that down, put that to death, and help us to hear and to listen and obey, trusting our Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the author of these words. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, I encourage you to have your Bible open this morning, whether your, your phone or your, or your Bible, whatever. But I'd really like to encourage you to just follow along as we read so that you see these words for, your, for yourself. Let's, uh, Romans chapter 13. We're going to read through the first five verses. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Let's just finish up 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. The book of Romans, as you know, is Paul's magisterial declaration of the gospel. What God has done in Jesus Christ for sinners. And in the first eight chapters, he, he just lays that out as he exp- explains uh, how we have all fallen in sin. There's no one who does good, no, not even one. And yet God has made a way, testified to by the law and the prophets, a way in Jesus Christ where sinners can be counted righteous as a free gift of grace. As, as God imputes the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of one man, right, becomes the foundation of life for all those who believe. That's chapters 1 through 8, and, and it concludes nothing can separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in chapters 9 and uh, through 11, Paul is dealing with the sovereign purposes of God and specifically as it relates to Israel and, and their unbelief and the Gentiles coming to faith. How does, how does that make sense? How does that work? And, and that ends chapter 11, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And then we come to chapter 12, where Paul says, Now in view of the mercies of God, how ought we to live? And he'll spend the next chapters, 12 through 16, talking about how do we live now as those who have been the recipients of such magnificent grace and gospel news? How do we live as those who belong to God? And um, how do we live in view of the mercies of God? And so that's the context for chapter 13. 
Paul is, this is not just a random thoughts about the, from the Apostle Paul on how we should think about governors, but uh, this is about how uh, God's people, living in view of God's mercies, recipients of all of God's grace, how do we live in this fallen world under God's authority as it's exercised through governing bodies? And the, the, the primary principle then is right at the beginning, let every person be subject to governing authorities. In light of the gospel, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Let's just walk through this, this, these verses then very quickly together. But notice first the universal nature of the charge. Let every person. Boys, girls, men, women, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, believer and unbeliever even. Every person on God's earth, is called to this principle, to be subject to governing authorities. No exceptions in that sense. Secondly, the strength of the charge, be subject to. It's a very strong Greek word. It, it, it literally means to place yourself under. A loanita, uh, define it this way, it means to submit to the order or directives of someone. In other words, to obey. It's the same word that is used for our Lord Jesus. He was a child. And we read in Luke 2, verse 51, that Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Same word. Jesus placed himself under the authority of his parents. It's the same word that is used in Hebrews 13, verse 17, as it speaks to the church about the necessity of submitting to elders. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Same word, same concept, same command. Placing ourselves under God's ordained authority and obeying them. The object of our submission, those are, are governing authorities. That's very clear. Uh, it's very, um, in, in Paul's day, the Roman Empire was all, very big on governing authorities. They had, uh, of course, Caesar at the top, but there are tribunals and councils and magistrates and, and the governors all over the place. Um, and, and Paul's calling the Christians who live in that pagan context to respect their pagan rulers that, that rule over them. The reason, then, fourthly, attached to the command, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And God, Paul will say, these are servants of God. Governing authorities are God's servants. They don't always act like God's servants. Uh, the emperors of Rome certainly didn't. Uh, Pilate didn't. Right, the uh, pagan governing authorities will 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 act like pagans. Uh, they'll they'll do things they should not do. And yet, uh, Paul says in that context uh, that these are they've been instituted by God, and therefore uh, we must obey them. Now, this is a good part of God's creation, right? God has woven authority throughout human life. Whether you're at home, boys and girls, you need to obey your parents. Why? Because the Bible says this pleases the Lord. God has instituted that authority. Uh, if you're in the civic society, we obey our governing authorities. If we're in the church, we obey our, our, our elders, those that God has placed over us. That's God's desire. It's the way he's structured his world. I think that's something that we, we, we wrestle with a bit here in America, um, particularly when it comes to civic authorities. We, we believe that, that the authority of the governed comes from of uh, the governing comes from the governed, right? We, we believe in government by the people and for the people. And, uh, and by the grace of God, we have a wonderful system of government. We have a wonderful constitution. However, the authority of our elected 
representatives or our elected officials does not ultimately come from the Constitution. It ultimately comes from God. Right? The Constitution isn't the final word on governing authorities. God's the final word. All authority is instituted by God. Which is why disobedience is a big deal. And Paul speaks of the penalty then, fifthly, attached to this command. <clears throat> Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who will resist incur judgment. So you have here the crime and the punishment. The crime, whoever resists authorities resists what God's appointed. You're resisting God when we resist God's um, instituted authorities. And those who do so will receive the punishment of judgment. Uh, the judgment Paul has in mind is uh, threefold. You could, you could think of it as you look at your text. Uh, first, in verse four, he, uh, 3 and 4, he talks about the, the judgment of governing authorities. That, that the, the, the government has a sword for a reason. And, and they exercise God's judgment when they use that sword to punish evil. But there's a, the judgment of God is underneath this, right? Verse 5, it talks about uh, avoiding God's wrath. So the judgment of God is the ultimate judgment that we're concerned about. But there's also the judgment of conscience. Verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. It means that when we resist a specific command in Scripture, such as this, we are staining our conscience, and our conscience will testify to that. And if it doesn't testify to that, it's just because our conscience is, is not wired correctly to the Word of God. But, but Paul's clear that it is, it is a sin to disobey clear commands of Scripture. So when we're talking about conscience issues related uh, to governing authorities, this, this one should rise to the top. The, 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 the conscience issue of obeying God's command. Now, let me just quickly say that, that, that verse, uh, th this idea of uh, incurring God's judgment, that, that, that should weigh on us. It, it, we believe as a session that um, Romans 13 applies okay, to our current context. And that's why we're trying to walk a line that both honors our governor's um, authority um, but also allows us to worship and move forward in gospel ministry. And, and, and so we're, we're, we're trying to do both those things. Uh, we will not do them perfectly. Um, and, and, and we understand where we might do it in, frustratingly. You might see inconsistencies. And you might see, uh, the, the, how does this fit? And why are we doing that? However, uh, that's our desire. We believe this text applies. And so we're trying to honor God, obey God, uh, as we submit and uh, are subject to governing authorities. Uh, we recognize that um, as Americans, we have options, right, when it comes to how to relate to the government. We can, we can, um, we can protest, we can sign petitions, we can, we can do a variety of things, and, and, and you're free to do all of those things. However, we do all of those things still under the principle of subjection to governing authorities. So that's what we're trying to do. We believe that it applies um, and that even though we're Americans, um, this, this letter and this text is still for us. Paul Carter wrote an, a really good article, I thought, um, a Gospel Coalition a couple weeks ago. He says, The general rule is thus firmly established. Christians are to be subject to their governing authorities. They are to respect the authority of the civil magistrate. 
They are to pay what taxes are required. They are to show appropriate honor to persons in positions of authority. We do this not because they are good, but because God is good and authority is part of his creation and design. That's exactly right. We do it trusting God. Now, of course, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. We have the right and even the obligation to disobey the government when the government requires us to violate a clear command of God. So Exodus chapter 1 is a great example of that, where Pharaoh commands the midwives to kill all male Hebrew babies, and they do not do so. In fact, they lie. And they say, well, man, these, these Israelite women are amazing. By the time we get there, the, the baby's already, already born. Uh, they deceive Pharaoh, and they are not chastised for that. Right? They are right to disobey a clear command to kill Hebrew male babies. You have a similar thing in Acts chapter 5 where the apostles are commanded by the Sanhedrin to stop preaching. And so they say, Sanhedrin says stop preaching. King Jesus says preach. We must obey God rather than man. And that's still true today. If the government requires us to do things that are against specific commands of God, we must say we can't do that. We're not allowed to do that. King Jesus uh, is, ultimate, uh, is our ultimate authority. But the exceptions prove the general rule. Every person must be subject to governing authorities. Well, uh, while Paul establishes the necessity of that, must be, uh, Peter shows the glory of it. And so I'd like you now to turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is just a stunning text. So we have here, again, um, the context very similar to what we saw in the book of Romans. Uh, Peter begins the letter by reminding the believers, if, if you're there, of their incredible privilege, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he talks about the inheritance that we have that's kept for us, and God is keeping us for it. And then he moves in chapter 2 to talk about uh, the, the identity of the child of God. If you look at verse 9, uh, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the question now comes again, how are we to live in view of God's mercy? How do we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light? Well, that's where we come uh, to our text. Uh, how, do, how does a Christian live out his true identity and his calling in this fallen world? And, and there again, Peter will say almost exactly what Paul said. Verse 13 of chapter 2, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. It's the same command. Same idea. In the same context, we do this as Christians, as people who received the mercies of God. But Peter adds some wonderful gospel incentives to help us happily embrace this command. Let me highlight two of them. First, notice, verse 15, that submission is a spiritual weapon. 
Verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is the will of God. God has a purpose in submission. That by doing good, we, we silence the ignorance of foolish people. People were charging the, the Christians of being disobedient. Uh, after all, they were swearing allegiance to King Jesus, not Caesar. And they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't bow to Caesar. They wouldn't uh, make sacrifices to Caesar. They, they seem to be clearly disobedient. And Paul says, it is God's will that you, put, you silence that foolish talk, that ignorant talk. You engage in this spiritual battle for what is true by doing good. Particularly the good of submitting to governing authorities. Uh, it is Submission, then, is a spiritual weapon for the glory of of God. The, um, and so Peter will say, uh, well, let me get the second point here. And this is, this is incredible. Submission is an exercise of Christian freedom. L- look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Live as people who are free. Well, that sounds good. That sounds positively American. But we're all about living, right, free. And what we mean by that is freedom from the tyranny of governing authorities. Leave me alone. Don't tread on me. Let me do my thing. Uh, That's not what Peter means. Peter does not mean freedom from governing authorities. Peter means freedom to submit to governing authorities. That's the freedom he has in mind. You see, the unique freedom of a child of God is not a freedom to protest. Anyone can do that. You don't need the cross of Jesus for that. It might be sometimes appropriate to protest. There might be appropriate occasions for that. And, and we have rights granted to us as American citizens to do that. It's just not the freedom purchased for you by the cross of Jesus Christ. You don't need the cross to exercise uh, that ability, right? To protest, to, to, to work against, to, to, to resist. The freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for us on the cross is specifically the freedom to submit. And to submit for the Lord's sake, notice verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So we have the freedom to submit for Jesus' sake and as Jesus' servants. Verse 16, living as servants of God. The freedom that we have, you see, is is to um, set aside, in a sense, as Christians, uh, our rights as Christians, and we have the freedom to submit trusting the Lord. We have the freedom to submit believing that God's got this, that God's going to take care of this, that God's going to keep us. We're, we're We're not losing anything. We have the freedom to trust God as we submit to pagan emperors, pagan rulers. Uh, It's it's very likely Nero is the current emperor as Peter writes these things. Well, what about when that ruler is unjust? What about when they're harsh? Do we still need to submit to them? Well, Peter knows where we're going and he addresses that immediately in verses 18 and 19. Look at verse 18. 
Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. The word there means harsh or crooked. It means that the, the, the guy, he's not doing it right. There are valid reasons to protest the way that the, the ruler is acting. And yet, Peter says, in, even in that context, be subject with all respect, even when it's, when it's crooked or harsh or unjust. Now, why would you do that? Because that, that's hard for us to hear. And we're not very good at it. Can we, I, mean, I think that would be really good for us just to acknowledge. Um, there's something within us that just boils when we send something as unfair. Boys and girls, doesn't it, doesn't it just make you so mad when mom or dad uh, deals with you one way and then with little sister a different way? So, I mean, it... The injustice of it just screams, and, and something boils within you. We don't get rid of that. Uh, I, I've, um, I, I recognize that, that there are deep concerns about what's happening in our country, and, and those are valid concerns. Um, I, some of you are, are, are deeply frustrated, angry even, with the actions of our governor. I've been there, I've done that, I bought the t-shirt. I know what that, we all know what that's about, okay? But let's just take a moment and put ourselves in the shoes of the first century church. Because that's the people that Peter is originally speaking to, and, and they're experiencing truly harsh, crooked, unjust treatment from governing authorities. They are having their property confiscated. Uh, they are, uh, their rights are being completely abrogated. They, they're being persecuted. And Peter calls them in that context to embrace submission. Where everything within us would say, you have got to find a lawyer. You've got to uh, protect your rights. Peter says embrace submission. Now why does he say that? Look at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Um, some commentators say, translate it as this is a commendable thing. Uh, I think it's okay. I think, I think the word is charis. It's grace. It's gift. I think Peter means this is a gift of God when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly? So let's just try to make sense of that. How could, it, how could enduring harsh, crooked, wrong, misguided, how could submitting to that sort of governing oversight, how, how could that be a gift from God? Well, the, the gift is that we're enduring it mindful of God. That God gives a gift in the context of suffering uh, unjustly or harshly. That God gives the gift of, of a mind that is full of God that allows us to endure patiently. That, we're, that we, we remember that my world is not run by Nero. That, that the, the governor, Whitmer, end of the day, doesn't dictate my life. They do their thing, but God is superintending. 
God is, God is at work. God is doing something. God is in control. It's going to be okay. And that being mindful of God then also means that, that I have a responsibility to trust God in that way. So I don't need to be, I don't need to be frustrated. I don't need to be angry. I can see wrong and I can identify wrong and I can even call out wrong, but, but, but to do so, mindful of God and enduring suffering from governing authorities um, unless, of course, they're asking me specifically to sin against a clear command of Scripture. So, so Paul says that is a gift that God gives. Um, and it's, 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 it's a, actually not just a gift, a gracious thing, it's a, it's a calling we have. Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now again, just notice those first words. To this you have been called. What's happening to us is not an accident. It's a calling. It's a calling. We're being invited into something called to follow Jesus specifically. The Jesus who suffered injustice and harshness and yet he did not protest. He did not revile. He did not disobey. He entrusted himself continually to him who judges justly. Because he was mindful of God, wasn't he? He was mindful of God. And Jesus then is the pattern that Peter calls the Christians in that day and our day to follow. That's the pattern. Now, um, we need to recognize here, and this is really, really important, Jesus is not just the pattern that we're to follow. He's not just the example. He is... He's the one that empowers it. Uh, let me explain how. Um, why did Jesus willingly submit in this way? Why did he submit to be struck in the face by those wicked men and to be beaten and spit on and to be judged a blasphemer and to be sentenced to crucifixion? Every bit of it, the, the most rank wrongs ever committed in the history of the world. Why did he submit to that? Why did he do it willingly? Well, the answer, of course, is he did it for you. He did it for me. As Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that Jesus is not just our example, he's our savior. He's our substitute. And, and, and so when, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's not just saying it as someone who thinks this might be good for us. He's, he's saying it as one who walked this very path to rescue us. And there's no other way we could have been rescued. Jesus, Jesus defeated the devil by submitting to his Father. Jesus accomplished our salvation by submitting to unjust treatment as he trusted in God. So that, you see, there's a powerful gospel dynamic here. He's not just the example. It's, this is the Jesus, the one who died for us, suffered for us. This is the Jesus who now calls us to follow him. And the only way we're going to be able to do this is if we are convinced that 
Jesus knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's inviting us into. And, and Jesus wants us to experience the glory of this path of life. That this is a gift that God gives. We get to do this for Jesus' sake. We get to walk with Him. We get to, to submit like He did. And we get to surrender like He did to the will of God. We get to follow Him on this path of submission to, to look like Him and to live like Him and to please God the way that Jesus pleased God. Now, not exactly, of course not. But Jesus is calling us to this. Why does it say, children, obey your parents in the Lord? For this is pleasing. God loves submission. Boys and girls. He loves submission. And he loves it all the more teenagers when you notice that your parents, uh, they don't sometimes do it right. And they're sometimes inconsistent. And it doesn't make sense. And you wouldn't do it that way if you were the parent. And then when you say, but I trust Jesus. I am mindful of God. This isn't ultimately about me and my parents. This is about me and my heavenly Father and me and the Jesus who gave his life for me. That's what this is about. And so you say, okay, Mom. Okay, Dad. I'll be home at 11. Whatever you say. right? And then have a chair there ready so that uh, your parents can sit down. <laughs> Jesus delights in this. God delights in this. So let's just wrap it up. What I hope scriptures communicate to us is that God really, really values submission. He really values it. It's fascinating to me that he's explained the gospel, the apostles explain the gospel, and then they remind us of living, that we are, we are recipients of the mercy of God, and then they go, whoop right to something as arcane, right, in our minds, as submitting to governing authorities. Why would, he, why would, they, why would they do that? Because they know where we live and the rebellion that remains and the glory that's available as we submit ourselves to God and then to those God has placed over this. Now, that also means then we submit to our elders. Um, and, and I know that's not easy. You're going to see things, places where we don't do it right and we don't have it figured out and it doesn't maybe seem consistent. Uh, and, and you are free You are free to talk to us about those things and, and I encourage you to do that. But what delights God is submission to authority. It just does. That's, that's, that's not a pastoral power play. That's just Scripture. So, so let's remember, as we're all under authority, elders are under authority too, before God, presbytery, general assembly, right? Wait, wait. But before God, ultimately, we're all under authority. So let, let's, let's embrace this together then. And let's remember that Jesus has purchased for us the freedom to submit with joy, the freedom, even when we disagree. Jesus has purchased for us the ability to live like free men, as we trust the Lord, as we surrender to His purposes and His will. And we can do that in the, in the joyful confidence that this is deeply pleasing to God. If you want to ask, what could Harvest do that would be deeply pleasing to God? This is something we can do. All of us together. 
trusting that God will lead us and God will keep us. Now again, let me, and let me just remind you, there are exceptions and there are options. If, if you just feel in your spirit, let me just say this to those who are really wrestling, if you just feel in your spirit, this is wrong, 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 I, there's, this has to be dealt with, that's okay. okay? We, have a, we have a wonderful policy in the Presbyterian Church where you are, you are allowed to, to, to write a letter and, and, and complain to our session that, that the decision that we made is, is, you do not believe it is according to the Word of God. If you feel that way, we'll help you write the letter. And if you don't like our response, you are free to appeal to the Presbyterian. And if you don't like the Presbyterian's response, you're free to appeal to the General Assembly. And the whole church can make a decision on it. That's the freedom you have too. But before you write the letter, let me just ask you this. And you can ask yourself this. Have I taken seriously what God actually says in His Word concerning submission? Just open first Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2. And then ask yourself, can I trust that in spite of the things I don't agree with or don't understand, could I trust the Lord? At, could I trust the Lord with my concerns? And could I trust that He's leading us and that He's keeping us and we're going we're to be okay as, as we submit to His clear call? Can I, could I lay hold of the freedom that I have to say I don't like it and I don't get it, but Jesus has called me to follow him. And again, friends, that's for all of us. That's for Pastor Dale as much as for anybody in this church. And it's just as hard for me as it is for anyone in this church. I've got the same rebellious heart. But we have a really wonderful Savior who's a shepherd of the sheep, who knows what he's about, who loves us enough to speak this truth to us. So let's love each other well. Let's call each other then to this, showing grace, showing patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, but walking together as we follow Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, you know that we do have rebellious hearts. And we really do, Lord, struggle, I do, with submission And it's the bane of our existence and causes so much heartache in our life. And, and yet you are so patient with us. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for every single person that you've brought here to Harvest Church. And I thank you, Lord, that we get to do this together as we submit ourselves together to your word. As we wrestle with things we don't understand and things we disagree with. Lord, I just pray that the Spirit of Christ would be powerfully at work in our midst. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to bind us together and that we would have Jesus in our mind and the freedom that we have in him to die to ourself and let go of our fears, to trust in a deep way that gives us joy in submitting. Lord, this is a good word for us. It's a hard word, but, but I thank you that you, you speak it to us from all the love of your, of your saving heart. And Lord, then I pray that you just be with the church, not only Harvest Church, but Lord, every church that's wrestling with this. 
Give us wisdom. But above all, Lord, give us patience and, and kindness and love and humility and the joy of submitting where you call us to submit. And we give you all the thanks, Lord. Give you all the praise, for it belongs to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.